Keith, what it is. Moving sucks. Like this is a callback. Moving is like when you have your first kid and then you forget about the first two, three years because things start settling down and you're like, let's have another kid. You know, you start living in the house and you're like, you know what? Maybe we should move. After you said for years, I'm never moving again because the last time I moved was awful. Well, it doesn't get any better. I promise you that. Now, having another kid can get better. And, you know, I'm not drawing that parallel here, but But moving (laughs) moving sucks. It's it's, it's the worst. You're the worst moving. You hear me? Moving. You're the worst. Hey, Rodney, what's up? What's happening, man? Hey, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Why, why is why is inclusion important? Like, what does it do for the culture of an organization? Inclusion ultimately, man, this is good, but inclusion ultimately is the valuing of every individual for their differences and the similarities that they can ultimately bring to the betterment of a single organism, and that is your organization. If everybody's seen, heard, and valued, or they feel they're seen, heard, and valued, your organization is only going to benefit from them bringing themselves in their best form each and every day. Even if that best form Mm. is subpar because of some external things, it's still going to be better than it would be if they just feel ignored. Yeah. Appreciate that. No, I think it's important because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of efforts out there around diversity and they are, they are well intentioned and they're important and we do need to increase diversity of all sorts. We also need to include the, include the conversation of inclusion so that we can then accept those differences because we just, we just have a whole bunch of people that look and think I will differently. Say, inclusion isn't inclusion isn't about bringing people to the table. Inclusion is about making sure the people at the table all have a voice. It's it's welcoming people to the table. It's it's having them to the table and then welcoming welcoming them to the conversation. I, right. I would say diversity would be getting them to the table. So yeah. Oh, I don't think it's an easy navigation, but I think when. <laughs> when you when you sit in enough suck, then you hit that breaking point of something's got to change, and I'm the only thing that can control me right now. So I'm I'm intentional. I I am very hyper aware of when I'm getting to that point. Like every morning, I sit on the edge of my bed before coffee, before you know showers, before reality hits, and I just sit and I stretch. And I, I have a, like, I have a meditational deep breathing practice. I don't really meditate. I try not to think about anything because once the brain goes and it's like full speed squirrel for 12 hours, right? So I know that about myself, but I, I also know when I'm like, we're done. Today, we are with Melissa Stetcher. She is the owner and creator of Hopeful Simplicity. In 2017, she reached her snapping point as a mom, full-time employee, co-parent, blending families, some personal health issues, and still being asked all those at-home questions like, what's for dinner? She broke. She was still angry and tired all the time and knew that wasn't the person she wanted to be. This is when she started swapping. 
swapping bad habits for better ones, like making her bed each morning just to feel like she was accomplishing something each day. They swapped harsh chemical products for natural options and the whole home team started cleaning. They even swapped unsuccessful organizing systems for compromised successes. In 2018, she took a leap of faith in herself and got certified as a professional organizer. Now, not only does she get to save time, save money, and live less stressed, but she gets to help others find hope in their chaos and clutter. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks. Excited to have you and excited to talk to you because you're just such a kind person to talk to. Like, there are people that you walk into in your life and it's just like, yeah, I could just talk to them because they're just kind. So it's good. I'm looking forward to it. As she thinks to herself, I don't know who these guys think I am, but (laughs) well, if you're going to be perceived one way, being perceived as kind is not, you know, it's there's worse ways to go. It's not a bad thing. No, at least kind energy. You may not be kind, but you give off kind energy. So first question we ask every guest going back to the rapid fire, navigating difficult conversations. You said, be quiet or shut up and listen. It's actually the second time we've gotten that wonderful advice. And listening is absolutely one of the more common things people say. However, it is something that we always overestimate our abilities to do. And most of us aren't that good at it. So how do you ensure that if you're in a difficult conversation, regardless of what the context is of that conversation, that you find space to actually be quiet? So you can listen. How do you make that happen? Oh, I know a trigger for me find space is to get rid of my distractions. So like I set the phone to no notifications. I make sure I'm in the room, in the space and actually making eye contact. And then you just take that minute to be like, okay, let me center. Let me focus. And now I'm here. Do you find that to be difficult if you have been triggered by a conversation or something caught you off guard? Absolutely. I think it's natural if you aren't aware of yourself that you you'll respond and react quicker than intended. When you say it's a trigger for you, are you saying it's a trigger like when other people get distracted and you're talking to them or when you get distracted when other people are trying to talk to you or both? Probably both. I know my self-awareness. I try to be very aware of, okay, am I actually comprehending what's happening? But I also know if it's obvious that whoever I'm conversing with is distracted, I will just stop. Be like, all right, well, I'm not wasting my time continuing this. So just let me know if you want to talk again. (laughs) Hmm. Now, do you ever call it out directly? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I want, does this at all tie to, cause I wanted to ask about the que- the, the answer you gave for asking what, like, what do you ask or tell young people? And you said, you don't ask young people questions. You wait for them to tell you things because it's a safety thing. Like, does it at all tie to this? Like you, you'd rather just be quiet in a conversation, let people tell you things versus pulling it out of them. Or are they completely different things? Uh, I think they're completely different things when it comes to talking to younger people. I feel like whether it's consistent in their surroundings or things like that, they're constantly drilled. What do you want to be? Why do you act like this? Why aren't you more like that? Why are you like this? I'm like, okay, well, you're going to shut down if you feel unsafe, or at least in my experience and my own programming, I'm like, we're done. You're pulling too hard. And so I think they're kind of 
they're kind of different because my interaction with younger people and kids is very intentional because I don't want to be that creeper. Pulling too hard. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? So would you first, would you call yourself an introvert? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think this is important because I think, especially if if you go on the binary, we won't go on the spectrum. We'll go on the binary extrovert, introvert, someone who is more outgoing, more extroverted, more engaged, looking for human connection because it gives them energy is going to probably come on a little too strong for someone who's a little more introverted. What does pulling too hard look like for you? For me, pulling too hard would look like not accepting my comfort. Mm. Wanting me to shift into your box because that makes more sense to you versus maybe I process differently. So if you're pulling too hard, then you're like, you're encouraging them to change instead of stick in their comfort. Do you, so as someone who will acknowledge distraction, do you openly communicate when someone's pulling too hard to that person? It honestly depends on the person. The relationships I have, there are some, it's very, we're very open to the fact of, I'm going to leave you in your box. I'm going to be over here doing me and we just won't cross the lines on these issues of conflict where other people that are, you're my inner circle. We're going to laugh together. We're going to argue together. We're going to cry together and it's going to be ugly, but we're going to grow together. So depending on the relationship and that connection depends on the tug and pull parts. So it's not something that you necessarily look to do with just anybody. No, it's just, yeah. I respect that. I honor that. It's good. It's interesting that you 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 excluded me there, Keith, and you cut out the spectrum because I'm somewhere in the middle on the introvert no, extrovert. I wasn't excluding it, you, and I apologize I know, I'm if messing you with you. Me. I'm giving yeah, you okay. shit, man. Yeah, yeah. I, but I just want to talk about the dichotomy of it because, like, I experience both sides of this. Yeah, I experience times, especially like when I'm tired, where I'm just like, I don't want questions. Like, I don't care who you are, I just don't want questions. Period. Like. It, it could be about the most benign. Actually, the more, the less consequential I perceive it to be, the less I want to answer questions about it. And, but then there's times where I'm like, I'm the questioner and I, and I'm super curious and I really want to know all these things. And I don't necessarily honor the space of the other person who's like, nah, man, I don't care about that or I don't want to hear it. So I like, it's weird. I experience both sides personally now i have a question then can i have a follow-up question you can ask any question you want this this is this is a conversation you get one you for the whole make sure you pick it right it better be good yeah you spent (laughs) you're all out when you experience like those outward things because i call myself at times an introverted extrovert So I can be in the room and I can be in the space and I can ask the questions and I can go, 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 go. But I consider myself an introvert because I know I need the decompression time. Doing the going and doing the questioning and in that energy, do you feel like you need a shutdown space afterward? There's an interesting trail I want to follow on this because I think it's super relevant, especially as I think about like collaborative spaces and working in those spaces. I'll answer your question and then I'll follow that trail. I don't know where I fall. I think the more I become not self-aware necessarily, but accepting of self, 
and aware at the same time and truly just comfortable I get energy wherever the energy is coming from. I don't, it, sometimes it's people, sometimes it's myself, sometimes it's nature. And I think it really just comes down to comfort with myself in those situations such that if I need alone time, like I'm, it's not this recharge anymore. It's when I'm with other people, because I would historically call myself an introvert, and it's draining me. It's mostly draining me because I'm trying to navigate myself in that situation versus just being myself regardless of the situation. So that energy sucks pretty quickly. And I'm finding myself more and more comfortable and energized by other people because I'm more and more curious about them because I'm less curious about who I am because I have a, I have more of an understanding of who that is. So I, that's, that's kind of where I fall on that. So I got to follow up. Um, I think that actually helped me break down what the difference is. The difference is where I want to be. And so like, if I'm around a huge group of people, cause I have to go to a work conference, like that is 100% draining. Cause I don't want to be there and I have to go meditate after, or I'm going to lose my shit. And then like, but if I'm like, I'm going to Disney on Friday and I absolutely want to be there, that's going to be fucking fantastic. And I'm going to build a lightsaber with my daughter. It's going to be great. And I won't. But then Melissa, earlier you were talking about going to the race and that's not really like your shebang bang, but you were there and with somebody else who was really enjoying it. And so you enjoyed them enjoying it and you carved out like a little space to do your thing. So did it drain you or were you neutral or were you up on energy? for that event i was pretty up on energy because i was like enjoying the person i was with and enjoying my thing so it's like hey this is all shiny i can do everything and so i was pretty up on energy so so <laughs> this is the train i want to go down i'm curious for the two of you because i think about it in collaborative spaces there are times, and I'll use this, when Rodney is in an energy-needing space where he doesn't want to answer questions. And I've been friends with him for 19 years. I know when that happens. And it's like, if I ask too many questions, he said something that was very important when I don't see it as necessary or urgent, right? But I might see it as necessary or urgent, but it's like... Ugh, how do we get this done without the resistance, frustration, or irritation from being asked questions from your side? So how do you work through that with someone who might have a different set of, or sense of urgency or priority on something, and you're just, you're not there with them right then, and you don't have, you need that recharge. Does that make sense? So how do I find that balance? Yeah. So as like to give their, what the other their programming in mind. Yeah. So as to give the other person what they may need while working to get what you need at the same time. I think that conversation would start with what do you want the end result to be? Because I always, before I collab with anybody or work with clients or anything like that, I always do a consultation or just, you know, a half hour, 15 minutes call to make sure that we, can find that balance in language. So I think 
regardless of introvert, extrovert, whatever vert you decide to be, if you can agree on the common end goal, that common picture, then I think the language will shift throughout the conversation. I like that. I think it's, Keith, you asked me the other day, you're like, oh, well, how can, I think it was this question specifically, like, what can I do? It was a variation of it. Basically, it was like, when I can tell you don't want to do something and I need you to do it, how can I? And I, I, thinking about it a little bit more, it's, because sometimes I will, I will sense that somebody else cares about something and maybe I just don't. And I'm like, okay, like, is this important? Like, does this need to happen now? Do you need this now? Or can we talk about it later? Can we do it later? Or if the other person is just like, Hey, this is really important to me. Then that gives me the cue to that. Maybe I wasn't picking up to say, Oh, well I'm, I'm taxed or I need time or like, I can come back to this later or I'm not the person like this isn't ever going to be anywhere on my radar, but it's, I think it's one of the finer details of communication. And there's probably like some give and take in there. You know, sometimes, sometimes I do have to, that's interesting. I was going to say, sometimes I have to respond when I don't want to. And I don't know if I have to, I think sometimes I choose to respond when I don't want to. I don't know. What do y'all think about that? But the like, I have thoughts, but I'm curious to get Melissa's. I mean, I think, I think each one's different depending on the situation. Sometimes you're going to have to choose to, to go forward anyway, even though the, I might need some space. I might need, I might not have the headspace for this is what I always tell people. I don't have the time for this or the brain space to intentionally be here. But I think that that is all person and situational. I think fundamentally, I think you hit it on the head. It's, it's a, it's an establishment of communication. And I think this is one of those areas of vulnerability that Brene Brown talks about being able to say to somebody, Hey man, my energy is down. Like, I'm not going to be able to give you 100% today. Do you need this today? And having that, and if they say, oh, no, tomorrow's cool, or maybe they can come back to your point, Rodney, the give and take, I do need it today. What can I do? And this is underlying compassion at its absolute finest. What can I do to help you with your energy so we can deliver the best thing and get this done, right? Versus the assumption-laden communication that we often have with coworkers in particular. I'm more thinking of of a, a working relationship where someone can say something and you're just like, oh, I don't want to do that today. And then you do it and you're annoyed by it, right? And you're frustrated that the other person had the moxie to ask you that, like, don't they know, right? Or in reverse, where you say, I just don't have the energy. Do you need it today? And they go, oh, Rodney, he's so lazy, right? Now, all of a sudden, biases or prejudices start kicking in. And instead of just having that mutual collaborative conversation to to work through it so uh there's another component of time uh my wife and i are like we're on at different points of the day and for us of course it's diametrically opposed i'm like my brain's the sharpest and firing early in the morning and hers is late at night so like trying to find the time to approach each other with difficult things because if i do it in the morning she'll be like i don't even know what you just said to me if she does it at night i'm like i I just can't, I just can't handle it. And so that, that causes conflict until we, like, I think we realized it and it took like another year to actually accept it after we realized it. Uh, do y'all experience anything like that? 
<laughs> yes, my yep. wife is on all the time, <laughs> and I am not. <laughs> and so it is. It is. Uh, it, and it is. I mean, time of day matters. It's hundred percent. And I think there's an underlying theme here: is self awareness. You talked about this, Melissa, right? At, in your conversation, you know, in you know, being aware to be quiet. Like, do you have a practice to find that self awareness? Like. How have you gotten to a place of being aware of self that you can easily navigate these situations like being quiet when you have to be quiet? Oh, I don't think it's an easy navigation, but I think when, (laughs) when you, when you sit in enough suck, then you hit that breaking point of something's got to change and I'm the only thing that can control me right now. So I'm, I'm intentional. I, I am very hyper aware of when I'm getting to that point. Like every morning I sit on the edge of my bed before coffee, before, you know, showers, before reality hits. And I just sit and I stretch and I, I have a, like, I have a meditational deep breathing practice. I don't really meditate. I try not to think about anything because once the brain goes and it's like, full speed squirrel for 12 hours. Right. So I know that about myself, but I, I also know when I'm like, we're done. Mommy needs a break or everyone's going to have the wrath of me. And so when I know I'm getting to that point, I give myself the permission to, you know, I'm not doing anything. I wonder how many movies I can get through today. And that's, I mean, that's just being hyper aware of when I'm at my max moment, regardless of my daily practice. So let's talk about this. This is actually good. There was a, there was a YouTube video last week about uh, superhero movies perpetuating this like perfect body thing, especially when somebody like Hemsworth, who is like in pretty good shape, but then he goes on these like four to eight week ridiculous eating and working out binges and steroids and whatever. And then like, looks like a God, a demigod. And then people are like, Oh my God, I can never be like that. Like it perpetuating, like, all this stuff to the nth degree. What do y'all think about that? Do you have thoughts about it? Yeah. I mean, do you think it's, do you think it's healthy? Do you think it's unhealthy? Do you think it doesn't matter? It doesn't have anything to do with the people's eating issues and self, self confidence, self image issues. issues. Yeah. I mean, it ties right into self-awareness. I don't know, Melissa, what do you think? I think he's paid to do a job. And if that job is to have a, you know, dietitian and a chef and a, athletic trainer and all the words that don't make you a donut god into a demigod then woo good job you did your job a donut god into a demigod that's funny i mean i it's just a it's the original instagram i think i broke rodney i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> that's good that was a good good i think it's just an instagram the original right like you don't see what it goes into getting the person that's on screen and then what it goes into maintaining that if they choose not to, if they choose to maintain it and what that actually looks like on a daily or regular basis. And, you know, it's, it's the Instagram perfect life. Like it's curated. And if you're not self-aware, confident, comfortable, or gone through the work, then sure, it's going to contribute to your self-image issues. I don't know if it, is a problem per se. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, the the work they do to do that is amazing. Like, I I don't even think I could do it if I had all those things. 
which it absolutely requires. I think the conversation is more around the speed, like the window that they do it in is it makes it even harder to see that work. So for people who are less aware than us that require that understand that it requires all those things, it's just like, wait, what? Why can't I do that? Like, I, I should be able to do that. And it just, I think it adds a, li- a little bit more possibility for confusion. Sure. I don't think it's bad or wrong. I just think it's one of those things that could be misconstrued. Like, you know, like somebody who's super rich, like, oh, I want a Lambo. And it's like, well, you don't know what that man did to get that Lambo or that woman did to get that Lambo. But yeah, that's all. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't know if it contributes. I'm sure it does like anything. Right. I mean, it can. I mean, yeah, it can. For me, it's motivating, especially Chris Hemsworth. Right. Like he's my, I mean, look at him. Ideal. Like, yeah. There are so many things like you talked about Chris Hemsworth's body image, but I think there's a whole layer of conversation that should happen about the men are asked, Hey, what's your workout routine? And the women are asked, Hey, what underwear do you have under that spandex? And I think there's a whole layer of imaging that could be crossed all the nerd markets. Well, and even um, who Captain America is played by, I cannot remember his name. Chris was played uh, by Chris uh, Evans. Evans. Chris Evans. He's got like, he's on record for having like, like super high anxiety, like ish. I think he was medicated for it and like some body image issues pre Captain. I don't know where he is like post, but there was some big social media thing with him last year with some images got leaked and like there. But no, I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. No, it is. That's a good point. We talked to, to a guest yesterday about culture and what is it and where does it, and these are the types of things that kind of supersede generations and how, especially our treatment of sexes. You brought up, not in this conversation yet, but in the uh, rapid fire, you brought up the word nerd like two or three times. What does nerd mean to you when you say you're a nerd or doing nerd things? Like, what does that mean? I get excited about Gen Con. Yeah. I want to go. Yeah. You should go. What's Gen Con? It's a gaming conference. Keep your in, in... No. <laughs> it's, it's a big, it's a four day convention that's around gaming, board gaming, like video gaming, board gaming, D and D video games, even though there should be more video games, they only have like the two rooms dedicated to it, but you can also buy art and shop and demo and cosplay. If you're into that, it's, it's just a big, yeah. Comic-Con ish. Like to Rodney's question, why, why is that a nerd thing? Because we weren't cool until we were older. Yeah, this is true. Right. Like nerd has just school, recently become okay. Yeah. Right. Like I'm the weirdo in the book. Like I'm holding the book at the back of the bus. Right. I'm not like, Oh, look at my, this, look at my, that. No, no, I'm good. I'll just be over here doing what I'm comfortable with reading the book, rolling the dice, painting the figures, whatever that is. And I think nerding. And I think a lot of the Marvel and DC releases over movies in the last decade or so have really brought nerds to the front like now we're cool again everybody wants to be us you know everybody's gonna dress like harley quinn i don't know her backstory or anything which is cool i'm only judging slightly but i think like that's just bringing us to the mr us to the forefront in the nerds right that's a fair point yeah batman even uh even the bell batman series really did a lot to 
bring all this mm-hmm. to light. And I think so for you, when you say nerd, is it a badge of honor or is it a That's what I was it just is what it is yeah. and I think it's just what it is. Like I I wear nerd as a me color where I wear mom as a societal label color. So for me, nerd is just self-identifying. It's just me. How do you parse that for yourself? Like, how do you not wear nerd as a societal identifier? Mm. I think I do to a point, but I think when we first meet, when I first meet someone, I'm not going to be like, hey, do you want to see my 200 Funko Pops? I'm going to be like, hey, nice shoes. I'm glad they match your belt. Where, you know, like, you, I feel like, society you have to keep at that lighter level and then you're going to feel the vibes of like okay what colors do i actually want to show you that that i would shine out i think it's this this interesting i mean me and labels do not go together well the connotations of labels like why was nerd a negative thing because i it's great that it's now become like a self-identifying ownership to say yeah i'm a nerd like, I like these nerdy things. There is still that negative undertone, that connotation, but it has, it's less, to your point, nerds are cool. And we assign these values of these labels and then other people give it to us when a label is just a descriptor to get a general sense of maybe something that you're interested in. So I can say, yeah, I'm a nerd. Okay, maybe are you interested in Star Trek or Star Wars? Are you interested in Marvel or DC? Like, can we, you know, now we can dig in versus me asking you about the World Series. Maybe you like baseball, but, you know, we have a better understanding so we can get to a better connection instead of it being judged. Like, oh, you're a nerd. I mean, the flip, the flip is it's not dangerous. Well, I don't know. I'd have to talk to someone in high school now, but like, Back when I was growing up, yeah. like you get beat up, you get your money yeah. taken, like it was weaponized. Like nerd was not, it wasn't like, yo, what up nerds? It was like, look at these nerds over here. Let me see. Let me see what I can go mess up. Now it's, it's just like, okay. And and then, and, and because it's less stigmatized, like I was, I have a good friend who actually lives in Indy and he's like, I don't know. He's ridiculous. He's like six, nine. He's played basketball his whole life. But like he was in high school in the basement with the nerds playing Dungeons and Dragons and then going to basketball practice. But like that was unheard of in the early eighties when he was growing up to do both of those things. It's like, wait, what? You can do that and come to find out. Like we all have these things that we like that are intersectional. But yeah, I think, I it's, think it's for still nerds relevant. specifically, it's the you do. Yeah, it's still because I have a twelve-year-old. Yeah, and he's still. I mean, he's going to take his Yu-Gi-Oh cards to play with his friends at lunch, but then he still gets made fun of by the athletes sitting in math class next to him because he's smarter than them because he you know rolls dice at lunchtime instead of throws balls. And I'm just like, at what point in time do right? I'm I just turned forty, so now being a nerd is cool, but it's still not cool when you're twelve. Mm. And I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. And like, why is sports cool? Like who, who decided that? Right. Like why can't, well, why are well, you throwing a ball yeah. back and forth? That's stupid. It's partially what you can see, what they can see though. Like they don't see anybody playing Yu-Gi-Oh on a worldwide scale. They see people throwing balls on worldwide scale. So, so it's make money. So there's value. Yeah. So they can like just sit very simply, they can tie that to value versus that. I don't understand that. And like, that's the most basic thing that we do as humans. Like, I don't understand that. So it's wrong. So I'm going to ostracize it 
or their parents don't understand it. So they pass it down to them. Yeah. Which speaks, so this whole thing actually ties together well as far as labels, societal expectations, the, this general sense of culture. And one of the things that you do when you consult with a family around organization is the first question, the first thing that you work to do is break down the gender roles and ultimately say, we're going to work as a single unit. Given everything that we just talked about, how is that typically received by your clients? All right, we're going to pause it right here. In just a few days, we'll come back to you with part two of this conversation. Stay tuned. Check back in. Like, share, follow. Do all the good stuff. Have a good day. Talk to you soon. Thank you.